This is the Macmillan Library Podcast, a community conversation maker, bringing you curated conversations with Macmillan librarians, community members, authors, musicians, artists, and more. Welcome back to the Macmillan Conversation Maker Podcast. Today we have David Wright and Eleanor Hebel from Blue Bus Publishing. They join us to talk about their publication, Journal from the Heartland. They describe it as, The intention of this publication is to provide a platform for local writers to offer their work to an inquiring public. It is hoped this project will grow and delight the citizens of Wisconsin and beyond. While we are featuring the written works, we are also presenting a pleasant cross-section of visual art, most produced by local artists. We will hear a few readings and have a conversation about the journal. And now, Blue Bus Publishing. All right, well, thanks for coming on the podcast. We have Blue Bus Publishing here today. Um, could you introduce yourselves and the journal? My name is David Wright. I live in Amherst, and I moved to Wisconsin 13 years ago. Uh, my wife and I are artists, but I've always been a writer looking for an opportunity to have a venue for other writers. Um, in this day and age, it's getting hard to find venues. I have been in glossy publications, but you can make 100 submissions and maybe get in three or four of them. So it's much easier for me just to make a book and then I don't, I don't even have to apply. <laughs> I can put <laughs> yeah, my own stories nice. in it and open it up for other people as well uh, and hope that somebody out there enjoys it. And at the same time, uh, a couple of the people sitting in this room have also taken part. And next to me is Eleanor Hebel, who is the assistant publisher and also a writer whose background is not as long as mine because... I'm now an antique, and she's still young. But I'll let her. You, you have a few decades on me. <laughs> well, I was hoping you'd say years. <laughs> but now that I'm at three quarters of a century, I guess. Uh, anyway, Eleanor, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm also a resident of Amherst. Actually, stumbled upon David as he's my neighbor, and we we've had many conversations about writing and our passion for great literature and our love of nature. Um, I knew pretty early on after meeting David, we would, we would probably come up with a fantastic project together that would promote us both as we're both, you know, a little bit egotistical, maybe just a little. <laughs> we kind of think we're wonderful and everyone needs to read our stuff. Yeah. So we decided to make a book. And... Um, it's, it's been wonderful meeting everyone that wants to help contribute in writing and editing. It's amazing to meet all the artists that want to be involved with this project. I think we're providing a really wonderful platform for up-and-coming writers in Wisconsin, um, giving the rest of America a, a little glimpse into rural Wisconsin and our, our everyday experiences, which range from divinely beautiful to very strange. Um, we, we really hope to 
educate some of the more urban uh, readers about what it, what it's like to live a little bit closer to the land and to really know your neighbors and to cultivate community and to nourish our, our talents and to support each other. I think the idea of, of nourishing a community is probably one of the most important things. Um, in this day and age when uh, some communities are becoming divided uh, because of our differences, uh, I'd like to think that this uh, project could actually bring people closer. And like Eleanor said, uh, as many beautiful things. Uh, today I just wrote about a cardinal. Um, but there's also the underbelly. And the book also does contain stories about people less fortunate who struggle with various uh, events in their life that are changing, upsetting. So I think we have a lot of variety in the book, and that's the good part of it. And what's the book called, and when was it started? The book is called A Journal from the Heartland, and it was started approximately two years ago. We have uh, two editions uh, out, and we hope to do the third one very soon, which I, anybody hears this. Um, if you're a writer and would like to uh, submit, uh, we do have a website that's simply called uh, journalfromtheheartland.com. Uh, you can go there, you can submit a piece, no guarantees, but uh, we sure like others to become part of our community. And what's the plan going into the future for the journal? Is it um, once a year publication or? Well, hidden within our cortexes, uh, we would probably like to do it more, but uh, life has a way of getting in the way. Um, I just chopped a big tree down, and it needs to be split, and it's going to take me half the winter. Whoa. But uh, that in itself is a story, but at least one a year. Well, I like splitting wood. If you need any uh, help for wood, <laughs> I also have a fire pit. <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea the size of this tree. It is 75 feet tall and three trunks, and it would take four people to hold their arms around it. That sounds like it, a fantastic amount of wood. Yeah. <laughs> it broke several chainsaws yeah. in, in taking it down over a three-day period. But that's a story. <laughs> yeah. That's a story. That's a pretty good story. Yeah. Tragic. In fact, I think people are going to die because of it. Well, I think all the animals that lived in the tree are now in my backyard, and they're very happy back there. They love it. Actually, I promised them actually, I, I would not be taking any trees down anytime soon. We have more birds now than we've had. Commonly, see four, three different kinds of woodpeckers on our feeder at one time. Two different kinds of nuthatches when the tree is gone, and I thought they'd be mad at me. Well, as long as we keep feeding them, they probably won't be mad at you. Yeah, well. <laughs> oh, is that it? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, the food's not gone. He's still yeah. getting his food, I guess. Oh, okay. I get it. Here I thought it was for altruistic reasons. <laughs> so the tree was in your yard? It was, past tense. Did you just decide to cut it down or did it, it die? or? It blocked my solar panels. It blocked my garden. And once it was down, the house inside had light in it. Mm -hmm. and it had some rot, and last year there was some fungus on it, which means there's rot. 
And a single branch probably weighs tons. And I get picture myself in the upstairs bedroom in a windy storm and hearing a crack outside and then realizing it's going to come through the ceiling and pierce me. <laughs> and, and That's very life. ominous, yes. So it cut it down. I had After get... imagining this several times, <laughs> yeah. weaponizing the tree has to go. Yes. So I did write about that, actually, in the local newspaper. And it was sad. But uh, it's like putting an old dog down. You know, it's just, it's suffering. I'm suffering. It's time to say goodbye. So that old silver maple is going to heat the house for a few years. What kind of fungus did it have? Because I think I have a maple, and this summer I noticed it was covered in purple dots, which I found very strange. Well, I'm doing too much talking, but um, as a botanist, which was my training, hmm. uh, anytime you see mold and fungus growing on your tree, now I can have lichens, the green stuff, but when you see mold, it means that it's, it's inside the bark eating the tree. Oh. And the tree's life expectancy is probably diminishing. It's no different than you having streptococcus in your system eating away at you. <laughs> so. That's scary stuff. You've got fungus among us. You got a problem. And it's usually a sign that the tree is, <laughs> unless I guess you could give it injections or spray it with Roundup or Tordon. <laughs> oh, no thanks. Well, my tree is, it was previously cut down and somebody didn't remove the stump, and now it's just growing out tons of tendrils, Yep, which I encourage, but I hope it doesn't die. Well, that's got its own problems. Actually, over at Eleanor's last year, speaking of fungus, uh, in her backyard were these morels. And I got looking around and found quite a few. So mm -hmm. fungus can be good. I just don't want it on the side of my tree. Yeah, the morels grow in my parents' backyard. They're the woods behind their house. So we collect some morels in. Delicious. Fungus can be good, but fungus can be bad. <laughs> and I don't like it between my toes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a treacherous game you play with fungus. So you've got some uh, readings? Yes. I, I'll certainly be going to make an attempt. So a little sample of what might be in the journal, what people might find, different types of writings. This is a little more, oh, this is a column from the newspaper, The Community Spirit okay, uh, in Amherst. And um, something in the book is probably a little more developed, but um, I'll read this as an example because in truth we all write about what happens in our lives in one way or another. Eleanor um, is involved in history, as is Miss Cindy, uh, one of also our, our contributors sitting behind me. Uh, so they incorporate history that has a way of sneaking its way into uh, their work. In fact, we can get Eleanor to maybe talk about that a little bit, but I'll try to redo this. Uh, it's called the Red, the Red Cardinal Has a Bad Day. There plopped 
on the back driveway among the fallen leaves and pine needles was a brilliant red-colored form. The cardinal lay, the, lay there not dead, but shaken, rather bobbing his head and seeming to have too many drugs. One wing reached out while the other held in. Clearly the bird was in trouble, hardly made a motion, and it was picked up, held gingerly. It was a sad thing to see such beauty in trouble, and we wondered if it was a victim of some bird flu. But Eleanor scanned the surroundings and noticed the outline of tiny feathers, red feathers, attached to the garage window left there as a telltale. The impact had been sufficient enough to dislodge the delicate red colorings and enough to knock the bird to the ground. As we used to say on the field of play, he had his bell rung. We took turns holding the trembling bird, making apologize, apologies for the clear glass and the obvious misfortune, uh, making note of man's inventions and how they do not always play well in the natural world. The bird obviously thought the window was an opening and willingly flew into it. The pathetic bird shivered in trauma. Its head bobbed as if controlling his nervous system was not possible. As he said, or as is said, he had a six-foot stare in a hundred-foot forest. The bird, after examination for Vulcan parts and finding none, was placed in a bed of pine needles where it personally, I personally thought it would quietly fly off to the final frontier, but at least in comfort. As the afternoon passed, the cardinal remained alive and seemed to become more responsive while feebly and desperately trying to hop and flap its wings, but still... There was a haze in the, t in the terrified eyes and unknowing. I recalled a time in Colorado many years ago when visiting an office building and finding there lying scattered like dry leaves about the building a dozen dead bohemian wax wings. They had been eating dried miniature apples and then seeing another tree in the window headed off after it, silent death. Some observers felt they were intoxicated by the partially fermented fruit and simply ran their cars into a metaphorical light post. Wanting to wish away a silent death and reflecting on enjoying the Cardinals this year, I ultimately put the bird, now showing still more improvements, into a cardboard box made comfortable with a nest of pine needles and placed it in my studio where the creeping winter frost held no sway. It had occurred to me that one of the silent cats that seemed to peruse the area frequently hanging by the bird feeder trying to take down more songbirds might find the weakened bird and see it as another easy meal. Safety and comfort in my infirmary, infirmary was the call. The top was shut while quietly thinking that the, mor the morning would find it deceased and still lost in the haze from a serious bird concussion. Still, if I remember right, I always had come out of my concussions, and the damage wasn't real detectable, I don't think, but I never did learn to fly. The bird's pathetic misfortune came uh, in our household discussions in the evening after our neighbors had headed home themselves reflecting on the possible loss. There is always a certain guilt associated with seeing life snuff it out, something that is not, is not natural, say a speeding car or even that cat which was never part of our real world, taking some hapless, unsuspecting bird. It is one thing to hunt, to be respectful of that process, and then consume that game with an understanding we are part of the natural world in that way. But to see things poisoned, crushed, <clears throat> or indiscriminately killed by an unnatural process is discomforting. I walked into the studio this morning thinking, 
might be a lead-in to a burial, but, you, but, just, but then just maybe in the time of quiet repose, the neurons had realigned and all this instinctual attributes had re returned. When the box was touched, there was a shuffle that sounded of conviction. There was intent and just maybe the box was not appreciated in its confinement. The cardboard infirmary was taken outside and opened carefully. Then in an instant, the cardinal lifted straight out of the box and headed out into the sky, probably thinking that was one hell of a night. He seemed to look back and I suspect only in confusion and terror. I put tape on the window, filled a feeder with sunflower seeds, waiting, wanting very much to see the bird back, but if it did not come, I would understand. End of story. Nice, thank you. Fumbled a bit, but. When did that, when did that occur? Two days ago. Two days, Two days ago. ago. Yeah. Wow. And Eleanor and Maddox, her son, were both there. Um, and the picture in the paper is actually of uh, Maddox holding the terrified bird with the four-foot stare and the hundred-foot wood. Yeah. He, he oh, cool. went to sleep crying that night for oh. the bird. Oh. <laughs> so when I told him the bird actually flew away, he, he thought it was a miracle, which <laughs> I assured him it was a miracle. <laughs> and um, it made his day today. Yeah, pretty unusual, except how many times you find dead birds by windows. But anyway, that's just one story of our, our daily lives, uh, hopefully written in a way that's interesting. And so the the journal contains stories, poems, art, yeah, um, fiction and nonfiction. Mm -hmm. That is uh, nonfiction. That happened two days ago, and but Eleanor uh, has written a piece of fiction that I think is worth telling about. Maybe reading a little bit because the story's long. Well, I don't know about a reading, but I, I wrote some historical fiction based on newspaper research that I had done in Amherst for our, our little local monthly newspaper. And uh, the story I wrote was about a woman, a, an extraordinary woman, who obviously had uh, supernatural powers and to me was a clearly fictional character. However, since I added in a lot of real historic facts, most of the people in our village have come to believe the story to be truth or have asked me where they can find evidence of this person in old newspapers. And it's, it's made me really smile some days thinking, wow, they, re they really thought there's a woman who could fly through the air and um, miraculously cure people um, residing in the little village of Amherst in the late 1800s. Um, but but I thought that um, it was theatrical as well. And um, so flying through the air may have been um, a trick with pulleys and cables. But <laughs> I, anyway, it would be it's easy to understand why people would think that because she's used names and places and even a photograph of the old opera house. Yes, in our village, I'm on a committee to uh, renovate an old opera house that is 116 years old and has been recently unboarded after being closed up to the public for 50 years. Um, I really want people to come and visit the opera house and to see this amazing public space that we can use for art and theater 
And I was scheming on how, how to actually get people to the building, how to make it interesting, how to breathe a little bit of life into this old molding building. And I thought it would be great fun to uh, use a story to make people interested. And, and it worked. People have been coming to the opera house. At the end of the story, I said, you can still find uh, the, the main protagonist's name inscribed on the wallpaper behind the stage. And people have actually come in wanting to see this. <laughs> and it, it's wonderful. Um, well, I, well, I think the piece, too, has a, a, a more literary, um, in a, maybe in a classic sense, than some of the other writing. Like the thing I just wrote was an anecdote, basically. But in her case, uh, in taking certain liberties um, that I think extend beyond just a local experience, uh, even in style. I mean, I, there's certainly some Seabold. Yeah, I was uh, reading some Seabold <laughs> and yeah. uh, some Borges at the time. So that, that got twisted into it. <laughs> so, and in the case of Borges, I don't know if we want to travel off here, but uh, things can get pretty weird. And, yeah, and so in the yeah. story, you find yourself searching through it for little hints of, you know, what what is going on here? Where's this woman going? And so it's, anyway, it's just, it shows that in our, our project that there is uh, quite a bit of variety. And you too can visit Amherst and see the name on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like that mix of uh, fiction and nonfiction where some people can't tell like Hunter S. Thompson stuff where it's mostly uh, he's a real events and real people, but there's some um, liberties taken. Well, he had a few extra things going on in his head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah. We David here is an acquaintance of <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, I don't know. beloved I, departed writer. Yeah. Well, I, ha I had the opportunity to sit in Hunter Thompson's stool in the bar that he liked to go in the Woody Creek Ranch. And the guy said, you're sitting in Hunter's stool. Of course, I immediately went wacko. <laughs> <laughs> when was that? Uh, I have to ask my wife, probably in the early 80s. Okay, so he was still frequently frequenting the stool. He was not there when I was. <laughs> <laughs> Could have come in and kicked you out of it. <laughs> Who's this guy in my stool? <laughs> yeah, as long as he had his bottle of wild turkey out. <laughs> well, the, the journal also includes some poetry. And Colin here has a couple poems that have been published that we found quite fascinating. That's true. And, and maybe I can ask you the question now. What is your inspiration as a poet and a writer? Uh, you also do prose. I do. I'm currently working on... Getting a novel published. Um, I did a lot of poems through undergrad and grad school. Um, yeah, inspiration kind of comes the same way, just from different things that happen and illuminating on them. And I like the uh, aspect of being able to take liberties with nonfiction. So I start with the nonfiction. I find a lot of travel stories or things that happen in regular life and then spin those into my fictional universe where I get to change things. And that makes me not have to remember everything word for word, fact for fact too. So it makes it a little easier if 
I don't remember something, I just make it up. It's great. Well, there's been plenty of writers who are writing something that's almost autobiographical, but on the title, they put that it's fiction mm -hmm. because they know they either don't remember 100 times. And yeah. <laughs> or Hemingway. I've heard Hemingway was the most amazing pathological liar. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, do you have your poem here? Could you, could you, or do you have it in your mind? I do not have it memorized. Do you have a copy of I, the journal? I do. Let's see. If I recall, it was one about beverages. Is that there true? Is our a, favorite beverage. <laughs> yeah, our favorite beverage. Hopefully, is it that one? Oh, this is not the beverage one. Nope. It's another one. Do you want me to read this one? I think you or should read beverage. both of them. Okay, both yeah. of them. <clears throat> All right, this one is called Our Lunar Tea by Colin Ryan McGinnis, which is me. You like dusk, like cocoon, like love, like sainzoot, like bud, like dawn, all grayed and amble along wandering silver roots, reflecting tones of symmetry, caught by birch fingers, sprinkled at my feet. I look at this smooth forest night and wonder, is it dark or light? And compared to what? What's the standard? What's the set? I remember child with fire branch, write her name, sparks in the sky. I smile, realize you and she blend light. This family of fire speaks. Deun connection commune. Right? There are truths, but things flow about here, and gray is gray. And that's the end of that, but I forgot how to pronounce the French that I put in here, so I probably pronounced it wrong. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll go get my Good wife. Good thing you're the editor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, actually, our, our main editor is Spanish-speaking. Oh. Well, well, Colin is the editor of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah I could go in and just re-record re that part, you, you and can. no one would know. I could edit all this out. So my other one that is in the journal from the Heartland, uh, the second edition, Close to Home, is called It Takes. It takes fine pooling whiskey, sharp with glass, on a St. Patrick's floor, and I am O'Connor's hygiera of eldritch visions, Kerouac's shroud of amunesis. I am the no path waiting for Thoreau's feet, filled with quivering bagpipe bones, the smell of large-scale evaporation without a straw is the straw. Hats off and across the room to the clandestine gravity and tile cohort, to the day of teetering objects on edges cackling. It takes, morning with a pint. It takes, waiting for the clouds to rain that whiskey. It takes, it takes, it takes, ebullient monotonies. People fully clothed who are nude, giving that takes and taking that gives. It takes sensuous blood on double-time bodies, fermented in clovers and dew, takes misty lovers of rue who really know what the sun feels like to see the whiskey through. Very nice. What's that? <laughs> yeah. I've enjoyed that one particularly since uh, we published that. Uh, I, I, I don't know if I've ever had a, a wee dram and then recited it 
which would have, maybe that's the next thing we should do. Maybe Perhaps. maybe the journals that sponsor uh, a whiskey tasting, and then you have stand up there in a very mm. uh, Irish way, which with a name like that, you uh, anyway. That sounds fantastic. That'd be a great. I'd be uh, open to that. <laughs> we can find a local distillery. Yeah. And, um, Start your own distillery. It's gotta be. Irish. I think a Dave actually has what, like a medieval distillery in his studio. Get a fifth of whiskey with every with every journal purchased. Yeah. We, we spoke of lots of uh, what we should do with all the wormwood that yeah. we have growing around. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I have a recipe from the 14th century. Actually, I have some absinthe yeah. that, that we got in. Uh, France, I still have it. Do you have any uh, other pieces to read, or I, I, I'll give a shot at. Um, I should probably want to read one of Cindy uh, Irvine, who is sitting here with us, very shyly. She has uh, an award-winning piece. Who ha does have an award-winning piece, and she's been published in a, a number of magazines. She had one in the historical magazine. Uh, uh, a few years ago about Mary Todd Lincoln. Uh, so she, she's also one of our main participants in putting this together. Cindy Irvine has been a big help. I'll read a paragraph here, and I think uh, this is by Dennis Chandler, who lives in Madison um, and has a literature degree from the University of Wisconsin. Actually, many of, many of us are in one way or another connected with the University of Wisconsin, uh, even though Eleanor is from... Uh, Arizona. 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 So, Arizona. so far away. What can I say? But uh, And Dennis is, uh, I, how would I say this, probably a more academically trained uh, writer. And I hope I can do this justice if I can't. You can. The office window was low enough for his wheelchair with the push of the sun-eaten burgundy curtain the paraplegic manager could view most rooms in the U-shaped motel. He considered himself quite an astute judge of character, and on his lap was a thick notebook, a harvest of impressions. In a paragraph or two, he had summed up hundreds of lives. The evening had produced so far a woman who signed with a trembling hand, heavy makeup applied beneath her blackened eye and a puffy lower lip. Then there was the dapper man with an off-putting air of sophistication whose son slouched outside in the passenger seat tapping a cigarette against the half-rolled down window. But most of most interest was this individual with the plain black shoes a parson might wear, with the sensible green Buick LeSabre, who had just checked in to number seven. This observer of lives confined to his chair was unwilling to commit any words just yet to the book. Instead, he scribbled on a loose sheet, a face banked up of vitality and a face blank and pale as a white flag run up a surrender in surrender of life's momentum. The, the disturbing man at the motel seemed to have discerned his secret, a thought so recent, so tentative, that it existed without the carapace, the protective shell that might deflect such intrusions. The idea that he could end his own life had come subtly, like a cold breeze on his neck, like a shadow of a hand on his shadow's shoulder. Death was simply a cab you could call to your curb. 
He'd planned out his match as much that it wouldn't be done at home. He'd save his wife at least the proximity. And it goes on. And who is that by again? That's Dennis Chandler who Dennis lives. Chandler. And this work is actually not completed, but he had read it to me and I thought, wow, I don't know where this is going, but it's dark, <laughs> <laughs> but still very well written. Uh, and Dennis's use of the language, I think, is really profound. Uh, and I, I had others, but I don't know how our time's doing. Uh, oh, that's my own. Are you sure you don't want to read it, Cindy? Yeah. I like Dennis's work because he is very good with words. And um, this is just another paragraph, um, a part of an, another story. Often the distance of black dog crossed through the frosted haloed panels of the window. When he'd first moved in, still shaky from his extended stay in the hospital, there had been nothing to see but a cornfield, and that uniform and monochromatic sea of green had somehow provided comfort. After the corn was cut, out in the distance you could see the ass end of an old cemetery. At the moment a dog paused, raised a leg against the tombstone. The graveyard curved over a low hill and gave the illusion that the monuments were on the move. The dead with a destination. Depending on his mood and inclination of the sun, the cement and granite marble markers appeared either to be inching their way up the gentle slope to some sort of rebirth on the reddish horizon or tending downward to the gulch as if a deeper death was available. There was a small stone building, almost too ornate for a groundkeeper's shed. Perhaps it was a clearinghouse for the departed where deaths and disputes had been resolved, maybe a clubhouse for the ghosts. Just another paragraph. Nice. <laughs> and where can people purchase the journal again? Oh, you asked a very difficult question. Well, the journal can be purchased through our website. Go to journalfromtheheartland.com. It's fairly easy to order there. We're in select bookstores across Wisconsin, including the Arcadia Arcadia Books in Spring Green, um, A Room of One's Own in Madison, The Bookseller in Wapaka. Um, we have it in the Trout Museum in Appleton. A Riverside... Uh, our Riverfront Art Gallery, Gallery in Stevens Point and Kindred Spirit Books in Stevens Point. And hopefully more, but bookstores are becoming antiquated. So we will deal with that, but do look around. We awesome. would really love it if you purchased it through our website. However, support your local bookstores. Keep them out there. Bookstores are amazing spaces for communities to have. Uh, don't buy all your books on Amazon. And are you going to be doing any uh, other presentations throughout the year? I think we're, we're hoping to go to Spring Green and do a presentation there. I think that we are uh, rapidly becoming a nonprofit. And I, hopefully that will open a few doors in terms of uh, access to public radio, uh, other public spaces uh, similar to your library. Awesome. 
Is there uh, anything else uh, to add about the journal that you'd like to talk about? Uh, if there are any writers out there that should happen to hear this, we are taking submissions, and we'd like others to come be, to become part of our community. Uh, We're also having another contest. We had one last year, and the three prize winners were published in our second edition. And this year, we're, we're planning on putting information on our website in, within a week. And the contest will be open through the end of the year. Um, it'll be a $10 submission fee. However, first prize is $125. And ultimately, uh, we want to pay all of our contributors, <laughs> which <laughs> will be a challenging feat. Yes. However, we think starting with a contest and... Um, finding some really great writers to help us through this, this next edition. That's our goal. That's awesome. And we will have a couple copies of the journal from the heartland here at the library. If you want to check it out, read a few pieces and maybe go to their website and buy your own copy. Yeah. It's collectible. It's collectible. It look, it would, both of them look fantastic on your copy table. Thank you, Colin. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. We hope you use this information to strike up a local conversation. We believe in the power of community and story here at the library, and we have plenty of stories in book, ebook, CD, DVD, and magazine form. Check us out at macmillanlibrary.org to see upcoming events, including concerts, speakers, movies, and more. We also have free online classes through Gale Courses, as well as a host of databases for your research needs. If you can't find what you're looking for, stop in at the Information Desk. The Macmillan Conversation Maker podcast can be found at macmillanlibrary.org backslash podcast. Mm-hmm.